here uh, on this Sunday morning, the first Sunday of, uh, you know, hunting season. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, but I've seen may, more blaze orange the last couple of days uh, than I've seen in a long time. So uh, that's just the way it is. But uh, we're glad that you're here. And uh, for those of you who are here for the very first time, you've never been here before, uh, we want you to know a couple of things. One, we want to say welcome to you. Thanks for being here on Blaze Orange Day. And, uh, and the second thing that we want you to know is that Northridge Church is a safe place for you. No matter where you're at with God, whether you're just starting a relationship with God, maybe you've been walking with God for a very long time, you believe in Jesus and you've accepted Jesus, maybe you're here, you don't know if you have a relationship with God, or maybe you're here and you would say, I don't know if I want a relationship with God or if I can have one. Now, no matter where you're at, this is a safe place for you and we're glad that you're here. Um, we are in the second part of a two-part series. So we started it last week. We're ending it this week. We don't usually do short series like this, but we are in a short series, half empty versus half full. And, uh, and really, today is a continuation. It really just flows out of last week. And so let me just kind of take a minute and go back to last week real quick. Um, Chris actually talked to us last week, and, and she was telling us about a whole bunch of different things. And she had a visual, and I want to bring it up here uh, this morning because uh, I want to use it again. She used this chair as a visual, and, and she asked the question of all of us. It's a good question. And she asked the question, who is, sits in the control chair of your life? Who sits on your throne? The one that controls what you do, who you are, who guides your direction, who really ultimately gives a lot of influence or the most influence into your decisions in life and what direction you're going and where you're headed and all those kind of things. She asked the question, who sits in the control chair of your life? And it's a good question. Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about what affects who you put in this chair. So last week we talked about, is God in this chair? And we made the point, she made the point very clear that God needs to be the only one in the control chair of our life. And so what we're going to talk about today is if God is not in the control chair of your life, or if you're not sure, today we are going to talk about a question. We're going to try to answer a question that really impacts, that really affects whether or not you're willing to put God in this chair. So it definitely flows right out of last week. And so I want to just start by giving you that question. What is the question that either puts us confidently to put God in this chair or that keeps us from putting God here? It's a question that could impact one way or the other. So here's the question, and it's a question that we all have to answer. And the question is this. What is your view of God? Not what have I told you. Not what have you heard from CNN or Fox News. What, not what you've heard from somebody else, your best friend, who thinks they know. No, what is your view of God? What do you, when you think about God, what do you think He's like? How do you think He operates? What do you think He really is? What does He look like? What does He believe about you? What do you believe about God? What is your view of God? I have some images this morning. Maybe you think of God as like this ethereal light person, okay? Maybe this is what, when you think of God, it's just like bright light. And you think, I don't know, but he's bright light. That's what I think of. You know, this thing in the sky. 
And, and, and that's what you think of God. Maybe, maybe you think of something different. Maybe you see that God is kind of one of those guys that, that he's up there and he's just kind of keeping the planet spinning, right? Maybe he's one of those, he, it's kind of like a, you know, he's spin, it's like basketballs, right? He's just keeping the earth going. That's what God is doing. He's just like going, woo, keep it going, right? And you think of God as like just keeping things spinning. Maybe you think of God like he has control of the universe, like he's, he's just, he's just controlling everything. You're, you're the reason that you brush your teeth the way that you do, you know, God, cause God makes you do it that way or whatever. You know, some people believe that God literally does everything and controls every, every single thing. What is, you know, maybe that's your view or maybe, and a lot, I know a lot of people have this view. Maybe you see God in paintings or you see God as just kind of this angry thing that's ready to just strike you and ready for you to mess up and be like, man, lightning's coming. I know some people that literally won't even show up in a church because they're scared of God that way. They really think that they will not survive if they go to church. I, I believe, I, I've talked to people here in Wanakee that way. Okay, So some people have this view of God. What is your view of God? Because our view of God determines how much trust we have in God. Does that make sense? How we see God, what we think of God, determines our level of trust in God. Okay, let me, let me get a practical example of what, how we think about somebody or what trust we have in somebody really comes from our perception of them, okay, and our perception of God. So let, let's say just in theory, okay, you, for some reason you have to go in for open heart surgery. I know we don't want to talk about this, but let's just say in theory that you have to go in for open heart surgery. And so you end up, you go to the, to the hospital and you show up and, you know, they kind of prep you and you have the gown and all that fun stuff. Why do they do that, by the way? It's just open in the back. That's just awkward. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. That's where my mind goes. But, you know, you have the gown and you're all prepped for surgery. And then you, I know you don't actually do this, like you're already ready when they get into the surgical room. But let's say that you go into the surgical room. They wheel you in there and you're ready for surgery and you're still awake and everything and you see the surgeon and guess who the surgeon is okay this is the person they've chosen to do your heart surgery this intricate heart surgery okay you walk in and he's in a robe and this is who you have Dwayne the Rock Johnson (laughs) all right he's your heart surgeon for the day okay now let me ask you how many of you, if you see him in there and he's your heart surgeon, how many of you are going to have incredible trust going into, okay, give me the anesthesia, let's do this. All right, we got one taker, good, awesome. All right, one crazy person in the whole room. I mean, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I walk in for open heart surgery, this is not the guy I choose, right? I'm just not, I'm not choosing Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Now, let me give you a different scenario, Okay. Let's say you're on a, on a SWAT team. You're on the elite SWAT team. And you and your team, you're ready to charge into a building, an unknown building. You don't know what the building looks like or how it's going to be. But inside that building is one of the most violent, notorious drug cartels ever. And you're getting ready to take them down. Okay? And you're getting ready to go in. And you're debriefing. And, and the two people that you were given to watch your backside when you're going in against some of the most difficult, crazy, violent, dangerous people on the planet, you've got these two guys to cover your back. Hey, these are the guys, Sheldon and Steve Urkel. (laughs) Right? Let's go. Let's hit the building hard. Let's go. Right? How many of you, how many of you would be like, yeah, you guys got my back. Let's go. Me neither. Right? Me neither. 
Because my perception is like, okay, there's no way. They're not going to be able to take and cover my backside. They're gone as soon as the first shot is fired. They're out of there. Because, and get this, our view of who is with us determines our level of trust when we go into things. Whatever situation it might be, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. Who we believe is with us determines our level of trust, just like those practical examples. And so today, the question is, what is your view of God? What is your view? Do you believe that you can trust God with everything? Good, bad, ugly, otherwise. No matter what, how big and how small, the decisions of life, the really hard stuff. Can you trust God for literally everything? Can you put him in the chair of your life? And that's what we're talking about. Now, in order to really get into this and discuss this, we need to talk about who God really is, right? We cannot get the view from what we think or, or the news channels or, or our best friend who told us this is what God is like or this is what they were told. Okay, we can't do that. We have to learn what is God really like? What truly is God? When we think of God, well, who, are, who should we be thinking about? What is he like? What are his characteristics? Well, I want to spend a few minutes talking about who God really is. This is the unfiltered. This is like who God is, okay? So what I'm going to do, and they're listed on your outline there, on your notes. And the reason we put them on there, you notice there's a bunch. We're going to kind of go rapid fire through these things. I'm just going to kind of throw them out there. I may forget a reference or two, honestly, um, but I'm going to throw them out there. And so they're on there for you to look back and you can kind of look at these. And by the way, this is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, We don't have time to map out all of God this morning, okay, and exactly who he is. I'm just going to give you kind of the the ethereal tip of the iceberg view, okay? If we did, if we tried to map out all of God this morning, we'd be here all the rest of the weekend, all right? And so we don't want to do that, but we're going to just kind of give you an understanding of the taste of God. So I want to go to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Isaiah's writing, and he's talking about a vision that he has of God. It's a vision that he got from God about God. Okay, uh, Isaiah 6, 1, it says this. It was in the year King Isaiah died that I saw the Lord. Again, he's writing from the first person, Isaiah is. And he says, God was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Okay, what does this tell us about God? Well, one thing it definitely tells us, if, if just a piece of his robe, just the train of his robe fills an entire building, we know he's not a small guy. Okay, he's a big, big God. He's massive. He's huge. He's powerful. Okay? And I want to go to another part of Isaiah where he actually describes God again. Chapter 40. It's jumping way ahead. Verse 12. And he, said, he writes this. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Does that give us the immensity of size? Literally what Isaiah is saying, God is so big that he can literally scoop up the Pacific Ocean and be like, yeah, there's a little drop of water there. Okay, I don't know about you, but I can't quite imagine that, right? I don't quite understand how a being, how God can be that big, but he is. Isaiah is talking about that he measures galaxies with his fingers. 
Okay? Do we know how big just our own universe is? We can't even see with telescopes barely past the edges of our galaxy. And we know there are other galaxies out there, but we can barely even see it. They're so big. God measures them with his fingers. He's like, well, it's, you know, to the next galaxy is about two fingers from here. You know, God is huge. He's powerful. He's amazing. Revelation twenty two thirteen. Again, now this is actually God himself speaking. So we know that this is God saying, hey, you want to know who I am? This is who I am. This is God himself saying this. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Have you heard God called that before? He says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Literally, God is saying, he's saying, I have had no beginning. I have no end. I am the beginning and the end. I am the definition of eternity. Nothing has ever outlasted me. Nothing ever will. God says, I haven't had a beginning. I know that's weird. I don't know about you. Can you think about that? Like, no beginning. God didn't have one. Okay, for our minds, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, can you guys sit there and understand? Like, you say, like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Some, he had to have a beginning, right? Some, he had to start somewhere. God didn't. And he doesn't have an end. He is eternal. Hey, this is, this is the view of God according to Scripture, according to His Word. He always has been. He always will be. So God is huge. He's majestic. He's powerful. But then let's go to another, another book, 1 John. And he writes a lot about God. He's actually the same one that wrote uh, Revelation. And so uh, he writes a little bit more about God. This is interesting. Um, he's talking about who God is and what we need to be as followers of Christ. 1 John 4, 8, he says this. He says, anyone who does not love, does not love other people, doesn't love God, does not go God. They don't know God. They don't know the real God. For God is what? God is love. Notice that that is different. We've heard usually, most of the time, I hope we have, that God loves us. Have you heard people say that? You've heard me say that. God loves you. He loves you unconditionally. He always has. He always will. God loves you. But not only that, it's actually much deeper than that. God literally is love. He is the definition of love. Without God, we have no love. Love does not exist unless God exists. God is love. And you remember that first picture I showed you with the ethereal light? This is an interesting thing. This is also from 1 John, another part of the book. He says this. He says, this is the message we heard from Jesus. He's quoting Jesus. Okay, so we can pretty much trust. Okay, Jesus knew what he was saying. Okay, he's quoting Jesus. We heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. God is pure. He's holy. He is literally the epitome, the definition of light. Without God, we don't have light either. We don't have pureness. We don't have holiness. So this is God. He's huge. He's majestic. He's holy. He's perfect. I don't know about you, but a lot of people, they have a view of God that is less than that. They have a view of God that's less than that, and he's smaller than that. A God that is smaller than that cannot do the things that we need him to do in our lives. But to be honest, those are not the greatest things about God. He's powerful, yes. He's huge, yes. He's holy, he's perfect. Those are pretty good deals, (laughs) I mean, honestly, God is really awesome, but that's not really even the best part about God. Even though he is massive and powerful, you know what the greatest thing about God is? 
He is personal. He is personal. Let me share three different verses that tell us how personal he is. In Luke chapter 12, verse 7, it's Jesus speaking. He's trying to tell us how valuable we are. And he says this. He says, and the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Okay, that's not to say God knows you have hair. Okay, that is not to say he knows if you have some hair or not some hair. This means that God literally knows how many hairs you have on your head at any given point. Okay, they're all numbered. Okay, and just so that we're clear, God has his work cut out when it comes to my head because he has to subtract constantly. <laughs> See this? Like, there you go. That one, that's number 27,314 or whatever. I don't know. God knows. I don't even know. Okay. But there it is. It's gone now. Okay, he's having to subtract like crazy. He has to do math on my head all the time. Okay, but God knows. God knows every hair on your head. It's numbered. He can say, yep, yeah, that's whatever number hair. Okay, that's how closely God knows you. Let me give you a couple others. Psalm 139, 13. Again, talking about God, it says, You, God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. God knows exactly who you are before you're born. He knows exactly who you are before you're born. In fact, let me go one step further than that. God knows you even before that. Okay, I want to go to another uh, scripture. And this is actually God speaking to a guy named Jeremiah. Have you heard of Jeremiah? He's a prophet. And God was speaking directly to Jeremiah. He's talking to him. And he's saying, Jeremiah, you need to know something. And he says this. God's saying to Jeremiah, he says, God, God says, Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and anointed you as my prophet to the nations. Okay? God knows you and I before we're conceived. Isn't that crazy to think about? He knows you. He already knows who you are, who you're going to be. He knows your heart. He knows your soul. He knows every part. He knows how many hairs you're going to have on, you know, whatever date this is on Sunday in the village center. He knew that before you were born. Hey, does that not just blow your mind, right? The commercials, right? We can't fathom it. It doesn't make any sense to us, but it's okay because it can't make sense to us. It's God. And God says, I love you and I want to have a relationship with you. So not only do we have God who is bigger than anything we can imagine, but God says, I love you and I know you more than you know yourself. And by the way, I've known you before you were ever conceived or born. You know that God doesn't have the light bulb moments. I've mentioned that. He doesn't go, oh, God doesn't have light bulb moments. God doesn't have oops. Oops. Right? God doesn't do oops. He doesn't have light bulb moments. God literally has always known everything about you and me and everybody else. God knows everything. God is huge, but he's also intimately personal and wants that personal relationship. The last two verses I want to share with you are really important to this personal side of God. James chapter 4 verse 8 says this, says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
even though he can measure the galaxies with his hands, he says, if you call on me, if you draw near to me, God says, I, I am there. I will draw near to you. I'm ready. God is always ready for us. He always has been ready for us. If we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. But then I want to go to the last verse, which is John chapter 14. And what this talks about is it talks about how we can trust in God, how we can have the right view of God. And the only way to have the right view of God is to have a relationship with Jesus. It's the only way we can know God. God, Jesus literally has to be the bridge. You remember when I said he's the beginning and the end, he's eternal, that he's had no beginning, he has no end. When I, when I told you that he knew you before you were conceived, before you ever were even conceived or born, God already knew you all the way back to the beginning of time. He already knew you. We can't understand that. But what God says, it's okay, you're, you're not supposed to understand all that. But I do want you to understand as much as you can about me. And the only way to do that is to have a relationship with me. And the only way to do that is through my son, Jesus. And so this passage talks about this. Jesus is talking with his disciples and he says this, John 14, starting with verse 1. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me, Jesus said. There is more than enough room in my father's home. He's talking about heaven. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Jesus, what he, uh, just for a minute, Jesus is saying, you have to trust me. I'm not lying to you. Would I tell you that you have a place in heaven if you didn't have a place in heaven? Jesus is saying, do you, do you trust me? I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to say, oh, well, we ran out of mansions. <laughs> I mean, I know I promised and everything. Jesus is saying, you can trust me. Would I have told you this if it wasn't true? He says, no, I wouldn't have said this if it wasn't true. It's true. God has a place for you. And you know the way to where I'm going, Jesus says. But then Thomas all of a sudden pipes up. He says, wait a minute, I don't think I do. (laughs) He's like, "I, I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. So he says, no, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? And then this leads into the most, one of the most important Verses in the entire Bible. Okay? Just give you that hint, that clue. This is one of those to know. And Jesus answers Thomas. He says, you do know the way. He says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What Jesus is saying With those words, again, this is Jesus himself talking. What Jesus is telling you and I is he's saying, you need to have the correct view of me if you're going to trust me. You have to have the correct view of me if you're going to trust me. And the only way to do that is through me, Jesus says. You have to go through me. No one gets to God except through the gateway, which is Jesus. He's the only way, the only truth, is the only life worth living. I've used this illustration before, um, but uh, and many of you have heard it, and I've used it in a whole bunch of different ways. I'm going to use the same illustration, but use it in a different way again. It, I just can't get away from it because it, it's the perfect picture of how God is trying to help us understand that we can, we can trust, can trust, trust Him. Trust him. Uh, I have three kids. I have Jackson, who's nine, who's seven, um, and, uh, and Tanner, who's three. 
And, uh, and so all three of my kids have gone through this. Tanner's still kind of in this mode. But when we go swimming, and you guys have heard me say this, we go swimming, we always go through this thing. And you probably have gone through it with other kids or your own kids or whatever. Um, but we get them on the edge of the pool, right? And, and we go out down into the, the, to the deep end of the pool, the, the one that they're kind of scared of, right? They're the ones that are like, I don't know, Dad. You're kind of, the water's like up to your chest or your neck. You know, I don't know if I, I mean, I'm over here in the two foot you know, but over here in the five foot deep, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. Okay. And so they're standing on the edge of the pool and, and, uh, and me or, or, or Laura, you know, we're standing there, we're saying, jump in, you're going to love it. It's awesome. Okay. And it's awesome. It's fun. It's exhilarating. It's going to be, you're going to feel joy. You're going to feel freedom. It's going to be amazing. You know, we all know if you've jumped into a pool, you know, this, you know, the, the feeling and like that first time. And it's kind of scary when you do it, but, but you know, that first time I was like, Whoa, that was cool. That was awesome. You know, this is amazing. But there's another reason why Laura and I do that. We know that on the other side of that, this is important for them to defeat fear and doubt in their life. Can't, we, know, we know that our children cannot live in fear and doubt all the time. They, 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 it, won't be, it won't go well for them. This is one little thing to do that. Welcome to vacation, kids. <laughs> We're helping you defeat fear and doubt. We're having lots of fun. Right? But we're there and we say, jump in. It's amazing. Jump in. You can trust us. Now, here's where our kids are at. They're on the edge of the pool. We're already in the pool. They're on the edge of the pool. Here's their conundrum. Here's their decision. They have to decide. It's not a question of, um, you know, whether or not I want to have fun, whether or not I want to experience joy and freedom, whether or not I want to defeat fear and doubt. Most of us understand that kids, adults, teenagers, doesn't matter. We're not going into life. We're not going into our day saying, I hope fear and doubt holds me back. I really hope that I can experience the opposite of joy and freedom. I really would love sadness and, and, and anger and just, man, that would be awesome. I just hope for that kind of a day. We don't go into our day thinking that. And yet our children are choosing that. But what they have to choose is they have to say, do I trust dad enough to catch me? That's what it comes down to, isn't it? They're not deciding whether or not it's scary. It is scary. They're not deciding whether or not they have fear. They have fear. Are they doubting? Yes, they have some doubt. Otherwise, they would just run up to the edge of the pool and whoo, jump. Some of you, by the way, you have kids like that. You're like, as soon as you even see water, you're like, grab them quick, right? Because they're just like, whoa. And, and, and some of us are not wired that way. That's okay. But they have to decide, do, are they going to trust dad, not only to catch them, but that I'm strong enough to, that I'm going to pay attention well enough to actually catch them when they do jump. They have to trust whether or not I actually have the best intentions at heart for them, right? I mean, they, they have to trust all of these things all at the same time, and that's why they stand at the edge of the pool, and they have to determine, do they trust me enough to do this? And I'm going, come on, it's going to be awesome. Trust me, trust me. And they have to determine their level of trust in me. Well, in the same way, God is in the pool And he's ready for us to join him. He's invited us. He's invited every person on this planet to join him through Jesus. But the question that you and I have on a daily basis and when we first commit our life to God, our decision, our choice is do we trust that God is big enough 
that he's good enough, that he's not going to make a mistake. Do you trust God completely? I mean completely. Where he says, jump out of the plane, but I don't have a parachute. Just jump. I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying. Would you trust God enough to do that? If God clearly told you, do this, and you're like, that doesn't seem like that's right. Would you be willing to do that? And it comes down to, obviously, the difference between my children jumping to me and us jumping into God's arms is a huge difference because they can jump to dad. And even though I'm their father, their human father, I'm still human, which means I just I don't like to admit this, but I have failed them and I will fail them. I'm not trying to fail them. You understand? I'm not trying to be like, yeah, I'm going to be a bad dad. Woo! It's not my goal, but I'm human. I mess up. I have messed up and I will mess up. And so they can't have complete 100% faith. Do they believe that I'm trying? Yes. Do they believe that I'm, I'm doing my best? Sure. But they ultimately know I'm human and I am not perfect. But here's the great thing about God. If we have the right view of God, we can put him in this chair and we can trust and we can know that he will never make a mistake. He won't look away when we jump in the pool. Whoa! He's not going to do that. He never will do that. Will we go through hard things? Absolutely. But we sometimes go underwater for a while. Yep. Days, weeks, months, some people years. Yep. But God is there and he's saying, listen, I'm not going to let you go down. I'm not going to let you drown. I'm not going to let you die. I'm not going to let you can trust in me, God says. And he says, this goes beyond just your life. And so we have this picture of who God is. So last week we asked who's in this chair. And for some of us, God sits here. He controls our life. He, he guides and directs us. We, we look to the Bible. We look to God every day for our source of direction and strength and hope and faith and life and everything flows through God, at least the best that we can do. Again, we're human, but the best we can do. God sits in this chair. He guides and directs our whole life. But for some of us, God doesn't sit here. Somebody else does or something else does. For some of us, we're sitting in this chair. I would say that probably more often than not, we sit in our own chair. Say, God, thank you, but I control my life. I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going to choose what's best. So some of us, we're sitting in our own chair where God should be. Some of us, maybe there's a family member that's kind of controlling the strings. We've allowed them to just kind of determine what our life's going to look like and be. For some of us, maybe it's our work, our career. Maybe it's a boss that kind of determines your happiness. Is there a boss? Is there somebody at work that determines your joy and freedom and, and, and how you view life? Then they might be in this chair. Is it maybe not a person? Maybe is it something? I mean, can I tell you the other thing, object, that sits in this chair most often? It's called money. Is your joy and freedom and happiness tied to money? When you ultimately think about it, does money sit in the chair for you? 
If God doesn't sit here, I just want to offer this suggestion. It might be because you have a wrong view of God. Because everything that I've told you about God is what God's word says, which means that's really who God is. So if we can trust God to be perfect and holy and mighty and he measures the galaxies with his fingers and he wants a personal relationship with you and he loves you more than anybody on this planet, anybody in the universe, he loves you more than you can even understand. If that's true about God, then why can we not? Why wouldn't we put God in this chair? Well, the only reason would be, the only logical, rational reason is because we don't believe in that God. We believe in something else. We have a God that's less than that. And so we need to change our view. So it comes down to this. If you don't have God here, the only way to put God in the chair of your life is to make a decision to accept Jesus. It's the only way to put God in the chair. You need to go through Jesus. Remember that Jesus died on the cross because there was this gap, there was this chasm, it's called sin, and it separates us from God. God literally is perfect and he's holy. And so what's great about that is we can trust him completely. But what, what, what stinks about that is that if we have sin, we can't be with God because God can't be evil. And so the only way to take away evil, to take away sin, is for Jesus to be the sacrifice on the cross for us. And if we accept that, if we believe that, if we believe in Jesus and we give our life to him, we commit all of our life to him, then Jesus takes that sin away. And then we have that relationship with God. And guess what? When you have that relationship with God, you start to know who God is. And the more you find out about God, the more you will realize, I can trust him. Because God is faithful above all else. There's a song that we've been singing with you guys. We've been teaching it to you over the last several weeks. Um, and this song actually, the, there's one phrase in this song that's very well known. And this one phrase actually came to a guy from God. God kind of delivered it to him, uh, to a guy named Tony Brown. And he was in this group of uh, other Christ followers, other, other Christians, and they were just kind of praising God. They were just singing and just worshiping God, just kind of in their, in their house, okay? They were, I don't know if it was a life group or house church or whatever, but they were there. And, and, and all of a sudden, this phrase came to Tony Brown. And he just started singing it over and over again, okay? I don't know if it was an awkward moment. I don't know what was going on. But, but Tony Brown, he just started singing this phrase over and over and over again. And he realized, that's a good view of God. That's the true view of God. And so he took that phrase and he went to another musician and he said, hey, um, so God just kind of laid this phrase on me and I just started singing it. Uh, I wonder if we could make a song out of it. And so they started working and writing lyrics and they built an entire song around this one phrase. The song is Good, Good Father. And Tony Brown, he, 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 he take this phrase and he knew that ultimately to describe God, he is a good, good Father, and he actually, when you when he when you interview, when they do interviews with him, Tony Brown, he he tells us two pretty amazing things. First thing is, Tony Brown has never known his father. He grew up never knowing his father. He still doesn't know his father. And Tony says, the the only one that I've ever called father is God. 
And so, I mean, if you think about his life and how he's grown up and what he's gone through, it would be very easy for Tony Brown to say, forget you, God. You could have taken me out of that. Why was that for me? I don't trust in you. You made me go through that. But Tony Brown did not. He went the other way and he realized the only one I can trust ultimately and completely is my good, good father. The second thing that Tony Brown always says is, at least the interviews that I've seen, as he said, it, didn't, it wasn't enough to say he was a good father. He said, I don't know why God did it for me that way. He said, grammatically, it makes no sense. <laughs> it's like, good, good. You know, it, it, it doesn't make sense. But he said, it wasn't enough to say that God is a good father. He's a good, good father. He said, it had to be that way. The truth is, God is a good father. He's a perfect father. And he's done the perfect thing. He gave Jesus to die on the cross for you and for me because he is about as good a father as you can ever have. And he invites all of you to accept Jesus, to believe that he died on the cross for your sins and to commit your life to him. And let me just tell you, If you are here, and maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this view of God, that not only is he big, but he loves you completely and he knows you intimately. If you are here and you are not sure that you've ever accepted Jesus, you're not sure if you've ever made that decision. Notice I did not ask you, have you been going to church sometime? That has never been the condition in the Bible. It says nowhere in here, go to church and thou shalt be saved. Nope. Is that a part of the relationship with God? Yes. Okay. Would we do this just because we're like, we like to look good? <laughs> no. This is a part of our relationship with God, but it is not what saves us. The Bible is very clear. The only one, the only way we are saved is if we believe in Jesus, we confess our sins to him and say, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. I take your death on the cross. I accept it. I believe in it. And now I give my life to you. I put you, Jesus, in this chair. I am no longer there. Money is no longer there. My boss is no longer there. My family, my retirement 401k is no longer there. Nothing is there. Just Jesus is there. Jesus, I give everything to you. If you've never done that or you're not sure, I'm going to pray in just a minute. And you just need to say these words. There's nothing magical about the words. It's between you and God. If you want to, don't do it because I'm telling you to. If God is pulling on your heartstrings this morning, some of you, maybe you know, God is pulling on you and you're scared. You're at the edge of the pool. You know, you hear me talking, you're like, I didn't want to hear this this morning. It's Thanksgiving. (laughs) I wanted to hear like about turkeys. Maybe you're here and you're mad about it because we're talking about Jesus and giving your life to Jesus and maybe you know you need to and you want to, but you're not sure. Okay, don't do it because I'm telling you. If God is tugging on your heartstrings, there's a reason for that. It's because he wants you to jump in. He wants you to give your life to Jesus this morning. So when I pray, I'll pray the words that you need to say. You just say this to God. You don't need to say it out loud. Say it to God and I'll tell you what to do. 
Maybe you're here and it's very simple. Maybe you need to accept Jesus, but maybe you're not. Maybe you've already accepted Jesus, but you've had the wrong view of God. Maybe you thought God was less than what I just described out of his word. And if that's the case, you need to change your view of God and realize that he can be trusted with everything. So I want to pray this morning. And then we're going to worship with one more song. And those of you who, if you are here and you think you need to accept Jesus, I'm going to start with that prayer. So everybody, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and let's pray. For anyone in the room this morning who is not sure, or maybe they know outright, they have never made a decision to follow you, Jesus. They've been to church. They've sat in the seats or in the pews. They even have a Bible at home. But they've never accepted you, Jesus. I pray that they would just pray this prayer. Jesus, I accept you today. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe you did that to take my sins away. So today, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Jesus, take my sins from me. From this day forward, Jesus, I commit and give my entire life to you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Today, I will be known as a follower of Jesus. My sins are taken away. And I love you, Lord. I love you, Jesus. And for anybody else in here who maybe they just, they know they've had the wrong view of God. They haven't really seen you had some other imitation I pray that you would help them help all of us to see you for who you really are the one true God of the universe our good good Father